Breath Hub. Take a deep breath. Deep conversations are starting. Hi everyone, welcome to Deep Conversations by Breath Hub. We like it calling Deep Conversations because as we breathe deep, we connect with life on a deeper level. I'm with Michael, a shining, amazing man sitting in front of me. Hello, Michael. Hello. Welcome. Thank you. Many kind welcome. Thank <laughs> yeah. you. I would first of all like to hear your story about how you ended up with breath work and you know how your journey started and where are you right now and when did it all began <laughs> yeah sure um my uh, you know my mom was someone that really got me into uh i guess deeper concepts on a spiritual level and through my practicing of whether it was athletics or entertainment, you know, the arts, that kind of thing, I always recognized the power of the breath, you know, for endurance, for athletics. And then, you know, I got into um, Alexander technique through performance and I was just really captivated by it. And um, it was probably, I'd been doing yoga since I was like 17, 18 years old too. Wow. So I'd, I'd been in that field for quite a bit, kind of like hidden, you know, at that time it wasn't, uh, it wasn't so much, uh, prominent in athletics or, you know, <laughs> it was, it was like a niche thing. So, um, yeah, I recognized then that there was more to our body than kind of what we've been led on or what we've learned. And, um, through the years that developed more into my own personal practice. And then maybe six years ago or so I started getting, uh, this strong desire to change the base level of like my life in terms of my profession and purpose. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it was around that time that a buddy was kind of like, hey man, you should check this guy out. He's crazy, like you're kind of crazy. And I think you would dig him. And he's talking about Wim. And at the time I didn't know who Wim was. This is, you know, six plus years ago or so. And um, I looked him up, and I was like, "Man, this is this is wild. It's my kind of it's my kind of thing." <laughs> well, you know, I, so we have this saying like we like to bring the woo woo to reality, and one of the things with especially breath work, but also like a lot of holistic practices, there's a lot of bullshit. There's a lot of charlatanism, and there's a lot of just like woo woo for the sake of woo woo. And I don't dig that. Like I come from an athletic background. I come from a physical place. And it's like, I don't, I don't dig that. To me, like the earth, this physical plane is where you test your theories. It can't just be all heady and yeah, philosophical yeah, yeah, yeah. bullshit. You have to yeah. test your theories to see what actually works and what doesn't. So I noticed I just kept going back to the breath and going back to the breath. And then I saw this guy that was doing these feats that were incredible. Kilimanjaro in shorts, Everest in shorts, breaking the wreck, you know. I come to find out later after meeting him and spending, you know, a fair amount of time with Wim and his family and everything. He was like, hey, man, I didn't want to do all that stuff, you know? Yeah. But I knew people wouldn't listen. <laughs> and I was like, hey, man, I dig it, you know? And then he did the endocrine study or the uh, the endotoxin study at Radboud University. Anyway, so I started following him for a while. And like I said, I'd been doing yoga, some forms of breath work, whether it was, you know, kundalini a little bit later, different kinds of type of pranayama, depending on the yoga teacher that I was, you know, studying with, that kind of thing. And I swear to God, in the first 
three minutes of doing his breath work, I had touched that level of stillness that took me years to do with regular, just simple meditation. And I realized like, oh, I'm a physical person. I'm an active person. I need an active form of meditation. And the breath was just like it. Boom. Immediately. And then I started getting it. Like I said, I'm not a woo-woo guy. So I was like, man, what the fuck is going on? Something's happening deep within, you know? (laughs) I need to find out the science behind this. I need to meet this guy. I need to meet his family. I need to see if he's the real deal. And I met him and it was like, oh my God. And then I climbed mountains and it was like seeing him. How can I put this? Seeing him deal with people that are probably far less capable than what they think, but also what they've been kind of led to believe, transform and be able to do feats physically that they've never been able to do is is transforming. Yeah, and we I climb. Think, yeah, I think be, be, besides all breath work and all that, he's such a strong-minded guy. Mm-hmm. Like he's very unique. His story is quite remarkable. Yeah. You know, seeing how we went through personal tragedy. Yeah. To deal with struggles with family, to go through just the anguish that he went through, you know, uh, in his personal life, to always be that shining example. You know, I talked to his kids. This is where I really fell in love with the guy. Like, he's he's so special to me. Like I said, I climbed Mount Hood with him. That was like the last, that was the third time I met him, I think, and spent time with him. And that was probably, uh, I don't know, a week or so, something like that. And the last feet was climbing Mount Hood, which is a glacier. So like 11,000 feet or so. It's high enough, but it's not crazy high. Um, and we, you know, we started early in the morning and, and what I saw, what he did with one of the instructors that, I don't know how else to put this. He wasn't as capable as anyone else, by far the least capable physically, by far. And everyone's there for whim. He's this magnetic guy, right? So everyone's, even people that were on the mountain that weren't part of our group was like, oh my whim, yeah, you know? He's a celebrity at this point. And he stayed with this guy that was incapable before this, or so he thought. The whole way to where he's encouraging him, he's doing breath work with him, he's going up the mountain, he's using different metaphors to just climb this mountain of life, what ended up to be, you know, this, this guy's... I don't know, vision of himself or journey. And he's like, we're just going there. We're just going there. We're just going there. We're just going there. And broke this mountain down to a point where it was scalable. You saw his life transform. And he was the least capable out of anybody. And we're all there for him. So anyway, we get to the top of the mountain, whatever. And he just screams out like with tears in his eyes, I climbed a fucking mountain. (laughs) Everyone gathers around him and is like lifting this guy up. And to me, that was, that like embodied a leader to me. Yeah. Someone that's the most capable, that takes the least capable, shows them the light that's within them, shows them their potential, and brings them up. Yeah. And then joins the whole crew. And now this dude's a part of this crew, and he's an ambassador to go out. Yeah. Like, well, that was so yeah. special. And then I met his family, and it was just, you know, pile on, pile on, pile on, pile, whatever, of stories, of inspiration, of these moments where it just really, uh, it solidified who I had wanted him to be. You know, mm-hmm. and part of that was like me going into it. And, you know, you're in these environments where it's like, I guess similar to like a Tony Robbins or like, uh, I don't know, Deepak or, you know, these, uh, take your pick out of any yeah. 
Yeah. Whatever, yeah. you know. Um, and I know that when you're in those environments, I've been in plenty of them, you're on this high. Yeah. So you want to believe, you know, it's cultish in a way. Yeah. And I really this is was. Real. Yeah. And I was really uh, hesitant to like put my time, my energy, for lack of a better word than faith or whatever, but it would be time and energy into this thing. And man, it just, it, it blew me away every single path. And I would try and talk myself out of it because I was switching my life. You know, I was going from athletics to performance to, and, and prior to this had been like my most successful years performance wise, but I felt a void in my heart. And I was like, man, just, I felt like lack of purpose after a bit. And, you know, a lot of people are big on happiness and I was too for a time. And I started to recognize like happiness doesn't necessarily come without purpose. No. Purpose yeah. can lead you to happiness. Happiness rarely leads you to purpose. Yeah. And I started like looking, man, how can I help? How can I make a difference? Like, what am I seeing in the public sphere that, in my opinion, I see people can use? And I started seeing all these like exogenous healing things. You need this outside of yourself. You need this outside of yourself. And that intrinsic, it didn't make sense to me. It never has. And then I met this guy that has proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that we can access deeper levels of ourselves that we never thought were possible and change our physiology. And now there's science to it. That's my kind of guy that like stands up to all of it and says, I'm I'm the guinea pig. Test me. I'll prove it to you. Like it's a noble pursuit, you know? Yeah, I I think so too. And we're on the same path with that because I started breathwork like around 25 years ago. And it was my own need. I was a shallow breather and Mm. I just needed that deep, deep connection. And I knew it. It's like I was meditating and I was doing yoga and I knew that I needed something deeper because I was trying hard to, you know, how it is like deeply connect with life, but I didn't have the tool. And the first time I started breathing, like mouth breathing, conscious connected breathing, the whole physiology changes, the whole chemistry changes. And the deeper I started breathing, the deeper I started connecting with life. We're on the same page because I was not that lucky meeting someone who is coming from the, from a scientific background like him. I met all these teachers whom I've been asking questions like, because my background is also science. Mm-hmm. And I've been asking these questions because like, I'll, I mean, you do one session and you're like this and you do another session, you're, you know, you're throwing up and all this, you know. Stuff happened, and I was like, why is this happening? And the whole explanation was like, you know, some emotional transformation. I can't tra- stand that. And I'm like, I'm like, but what? what's happening? But what's really happening? And they're like, you know, you're transforming this. And then I was like, okay, I want to research, and I want to learn about it. And I read more than 100 respiratory books and just searching and searching, and then I met... Your Wim Hof is my teacher, Peter Litchfield, who is the head of breathing sciences faculty. And he's this, I mean, I, I see the same commitment to humanity in both of them. So it's kind of like I can fully connect with, you know, while you were speaking about Wim Hof, how he's, you know, he he just doesn't, like people like, you know, who have a purpose, they, we, I can just have myself inside the story as well. Like those kind of people, I think we don't care about who who we are helping or who we are with as long as 
like you know you are just fulfilling your purpose and you just are connected with humanity. I think that's what you see in Winhof, Winhof, and also that's what Peter Litchfield has. And I think that's what all real teachers have. Like Dr. Martini is also my friend and teacher, like his commitment to humanity, like what Winhof does on another level, on the mind level. I've seen John work with a client for, in a course, in a seminar for four hours, four freaking hours, like he wouldn't let him go. And he was like, You know, I want you to get it. I want you to get it. So it's basically that human love. And that's just, you know, beyond words. And yeah, I'm happy that I think that's uh, beautiful. we have the chance to talk about it because this is it. This is the whole thing. I mean, this is, I believe, is the meaning of life. A human touching a human and a human helping a human. And that's true leadership and that's true... Yeah, and when it's scientifically backed up, it's just brilliant. So at the end, I understood what's happening. We're going into hypocapnia. And hyper- <laughs> I was going <laughs> to get into that. So it's now, it's now I've, been, I've researched so much on it. Now I know what's happening in our brain, in our <laughs> you know, body, in our blood. It's like... I remember, so- I remember going into... Uh, you know, you get tetany, right? And, and like yeah. for those that listen and that don't... I, one, I, I truly appreciate you know, your, uh, your approach to the breath and, and wanting to learn more about the science, wanting to learn more about one, you're going to learn about your biology because you have to learn about your physiology and how it affects it. Chemistry, so just, biology, physiology, all of it. Totally. Things. Right. So I remember sitting in one of these, <laughs> one of these classes, one of, uh, I, I forget what kind of holotropic breathing I was doing. Anyway, so someone's going into tetany, right? And for those that are listening, tetany is, it's kind of like lobster claws. It's almost like when your body <laughs> cramps, but it's not painful. But you're getting, you're changing your physiology, and essentially what it is is when, you know, you're dropping your CO2 levels to a point where the hemoglobin in your blood is holding on to the the oxygen, the yeah, O2. Too much oxygen, yeah. Right, um, and you can cramp up like that, right? So this was happening in one of these classes. And it's actually not going, too much oxygen. What happens is the carbon dioxide the goes depletion low. Of CO2. Depletion of CO2. And because depletion of there is depletion of CO2, there is a bore effect. The bore effect, yep. Which happen, what happens is you don't have enough oxygen release in the cells. So it's kind of like a shock in the body and the brain. And there's yeah. a whole scientific explanation. That's well, yeah. <laughs> the, the thing is, is, is that it sounds counterintuitive. And when you see like the hemoglobin curve, you can see it. But yeah. it's actually when you when oxygen is released in your body, O2, the Bohr effect, essentially, O2 is only released in the presence of carbon dioxide. Yeah. So carbon dioxide gets a bad rap in terms of the breath and inflammation and stuff. And, and, it, and it is, a, you know, a, a cause of inflammation, but that's on us. Like it's when our nervous system gets out of play that we're constantly in a sympathetic or a fight or flight state where CO2 levels are fucked with. And I curse a lot. I apologize. For <laughs> it's fine. Anyway, um, you know, it, it, it's it's because of carbon dioxide. CO2 is the driver for breath. It's not oxygen. It's, yeah. it's the levels of carbon dioxide. So when you deplete the CO2 levels in the blood, the hemoglobin holds on to the O2. Too. Yeah. So it's not, that's why you cramp because it's not getting in there. So there's a scientific physiological effect that's yeah. happening. And the thing that really got to me was it's like, those are your spirits. 
<laughs> and I was like, oh man, I'm out. Like, the, I, I love you, but I'm out. Like, I'll go do this on my own type thing. And then I researched more and more. And then you start, Patrick McCune was actually a huge influence on me. I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, um, I started researching him and then I, you know, I, I joined the Oxygen Advantage team as well. And his research with the Boutico Clinic and yeah, with Oxygen yeah. is just f- incredible. Fabulous, yeah. It's incredible. So we started, you know, diving deep into the science and I was starting to realize that like, oh my God, this, this to me is where like the spirituality and the physiology meet. Exactly. I think this is like one of the biggest messages we can give to people. It's like breath work is the science of well-being. It is the science of well-being, like on all levels. And yeah, and that's why for the first time in your life, you were probably like fully in silence and calm. Like what I say to people is when you meditate, the more you meditate, your psychology starts shifting and something happens, you know, with, you know, your mindset and psychology. That's why why your physiology gets affected. But with breath work, your physiology changes, like your chemistry changes with breath work, moment to moment with conscious breath work, with different techniques. Because your chemistry and your physiology changes, then your psychology changes. It's like kind of like the opposite. You know, with meditation, totally. it's all about psychological. It's all about if your psychology changes, then you can get well. But with breath work, you can get well first. Mm-hmm. I think psychology is a byproduct of physiology anyway. I, Once you mm-hmm. are well, you know, when, you, when you're physically well and healthy, then you are already also, you know, psychologically healthy. But if you're not physically healthy, if yep. you have, you know, chemical problems in the body, dysfunctional breathing habits, physiological problems, even though you feel great, you're going to go back to that horrible state. It's like, Mm -hmm. I think it starts with physiology and that's why many people are having a hard time starting meditation or deepening their meditation practice because they don't get conscious about breathing and they don't get the importance of breathing. It's Mm -hmm. like first we need to be working on our breathing. First, we need to figure that out, consciously breathe, and then you can dive into different levels of meditation. Physiology far predates psychology. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and we're designed. I mean, one of the things, that one of the new studies that they just did with, uh, where was it? Wayne State University in, De- in Detroit, I believe, or outside of uh, Michigan, uh, Detroit and Michigan somewhere. Um but they did uh, the study on the brain where they sent women to an MRI and an fMRI. Mm. And what they saw that with the breathwork, he was able to enter the paraaqueductal gray area of the brain. That's the deepest part of our brain, part of the atomic uh, autonomic nervous system that we're not supposed to be able to touch. And they saw that he could activate that. That's the, the center of painkilling. That's our endocannabinoid system. That's our endo-opioid system. It's the, the, the place for uh, uh, happy hormones to be released. You know, that's the control center for pain modulation. And we're able to access that naturally under our With nose. With our breath, yeah. You know, and you look at the pharmaceuticals and like all of the, the uh, I shouldn't say all of them. A, a lot of the medicines are trying to access that. Yeah. And that's, you know, that the endo opioid says we have, a, you know, those systems within us, whether it's, you know, you can get it exogenously somewhat through cannabis by smoking. Can- we can release that ourselves. We have an endocannabinoid system, cannabis, cannabinoid. We have that within our brain that regulates mood. 
Yeah. Just with breath and, and, yeah, and, and cold. Yeah, and why do you, you know? think it's still like, I mean, when because you, you when can't you make money at, out of it, it's yeah, free. I mean, when you look at the whole, when you look at what breath work can do, especially with, you know, when it's used scientifically, and still the number of people who are using it, I think that's insane. I have a fun, I have a saying. I, I get a little a, Boston with it because if that's the case, then we don't need daddy. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you can handle your shit on your own, you don't need daddy. Yeah. And yeah. and the people in power, they want you to want, they want you to need daddy. Yeah, that's basically it. There's no money in it. What money is a pharmaceutical pill to you when you can do it on your own? On your own. Yeah. I'm not saying it heals everything. I'm not. I'm not saying it's a panacea. That's yeah, a big yeah. misconception, yeah, yeah, misunderstanding yeah. for all this shit. A, a, a bunch of holistic stuff. Whether you whatever. I think it's what not we a panacea, can say. But, I think what we can say it, especially like um, symptoms that are related with hypocapnia and dysfunctional habits are like well-known symptoms. There are more than I think 200 symptoms like ADD, ADHD, getting triggered, some attention deficit problems, migraine body pain, fatigue, and all that, like they're already you know, scientifically proven well-known symptoms due to problems in the respiration. I don't mean mm -hmm. problems in the lungs, but dysfunctional breathing habits, hypocapnia, hypercapnia yeah. related. Those can definitely be healed and those can definitely be eased. Uh, but other than that, the body is such a complex system. I don't think we can ever say something like this method heals these all. No, it's a tool in your tool belt. Yeah. And yeah, and many, many symptoms, especially psychological symptoms people are experiencing are breath related symptoms. I tell people yeah. like the symptoms you're having is just chemical symptoms. You're just having all those anxiety, panic attacks, stress because of the change in your chemistry, you're going into respiratory alkalosis without knowing it. Yeah. That's why you're feeling anxious. It's not a psychological problem. It's a chemical problem. And that can be eased. It's like... We're seeing this in schools too. Yeah. With kids, way more mouth breathers. Yeah. You'll notice this in the orthodontist uh, sector yeah. too. Mouth yeah. health is yeah. dramatically affected yeah. by how we breathe. And I a lot... ADD, ADHD, it, attention. Totally. Deficit. And that's, that's, that's from mouth thing. breathing, you know, that where you're talking about the respiratory alkalosis. I mean, that's that's the, the effect. Yeah, and, mouth and what breathing, we're also and deep seeing breathing and over breathing. Yeah. Such a, yeah. What we're also seeing too, uh, Patrick has been really big on this uh, since the corona happened and people are more, you know, on Zoom, on their computers more. We're starting to see computer induced asthma because you're sitting down and you're sitting down and kind of like slunched over, you're blocking off access to your mm -hmm. diaphragm and you're also breathing high in your chest and you're also being stimulated by this screen which puts you in a sympathetic state uh, a heightened uh, inflam inflammatory state anyway so people are getting more asthma from being in front of the computer more mm -hmm. and what you're talking about the physiology leads to the psychology yeah we need to <laughs> we need to understand how to breathe better so our mm -hmm. minds work more optimally yeah. I mean, how I see it is one day, I think people will get it very soon. Like, I think breath work will think be bigger like than, a decade away. bigger than, yeah, I bigger do. than I, yeah. meditation one day once people understand that it is the scientific way. You know, this is the scientific way. You can just change your whole physiology, your chemistry, psychology, all at the same time. Yeah, it's just amazing. If there was one thing you would like humanity to understand and get what would that be breathe out of your nose <laughs> no yeah that is one thing um you know i think right now uh 
I think it's important to understand that like we're in this together and we have different opinions and we have different viewpoints and that's always going to be the case. And thank God, because different viewpoints drive different viewpoints, you know? And I think the more that we're able to discuss the gaps between us, the more we can close those gaps. And I think right now there's so much that is very divisive. There's a lot that is, I think, tearing, uh, at the fabric of how we operate. And the more that we can come together and have discussions and get together on things like this, like breathe to somebody, go on a hike with somebody, like, you know, I think the the better off our society will be. Yeah. I do. I think it's a culmination of of several different ideas that make us who we are. And that's a wonderful thing. And the more that we isolate and uh uh you know, kind of point fingers at another's opinion as other enemy, something that is outside of yourself is irresponsible. Yeah. Yeah. And we can all have our own ideas and the way we see things and we can still accept and appreciate other people's ideas. I usually tell people like, this is my life. This is my purpose. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't mean that this is the best way or this is the, you know, uh, yeah, this is the best way of doing things. Like everybody has their own ways. And I think appreciating and having respect for each other. And I like what you said, like we're in this thing together. I think that's kind of like the biggest message the world needs right now. It's kind of even like a calling, mm-hmm. you know, get it. We're in this thing together. Like we're, we'll go through this whole thing together or we'll just smash. Yeah. <laughs> Together, yeah. yeah. I think common cordiality too is something that's been lost. Like just being cordial to mm. to your neighbor. You yeah. don't have to agree. Yeah. But you know that. I don't know. I have I have a lot of different ideas on yeah. how people treat each other <laughs> and like. You yeah. know, boundaries are important, and knowing where you stand, uh, knowing who stands with you is is very important. Uh, and also, you know, just courtesy is also important. Yeah. I think that's. I think respect is something that we can. Uh, start to put higher up on the pedestal of values. Yeah. And one more question, because I see lots of people, more and more people trying to understand what their purpose is, like what's my purpose, what's the meaning of life. And because we already talked about it, you also know and understand the importance of purpose. Mm. I think without having a purpose, you can't live a fulfilling and inspired life. It's like purpose gives meaning to our lives. Mm-hmm. It's like the mean, it's our centered Uh, how did you came up to that point? Because I know there are a lot of people who are searching and most of my students are kind of like, how do you know it? It's like, how do you know what your purpose is? It, yeah. You know, this whole question, because it's it's not easy to teach, yeah. I think. Yeah. It's what a great question. Of, and yeah, it's also so. something that I don't think everybody accesses. Yeah, so you that's know, why it was like, how was your own journey? Yeah. And when when were you like... Okay, I'm connected with my purpose. I know what my purpose is. You know, when when mm-hmm. did that happen and how? Hmm. You know, I I would spend a lot of time like in silence by myself often. I I, I think even like in from whenever I, I like being in groups. I like being part of groups, uh, but I also liked a lot of time by myself, just by myself. I spent. You know, I, I, one of the things I love about Wim, whatever, you'd go to the woods 
we had woods behind our house. That's where I would like run away to when I'd like quote unquote run away mm-hmm. from my parents. You know, I'd go to the woods. I spent a lot of time by myself and just um, adventuring as well. And I know that's a very, uh, you know, not everyone gets to do that. And I understand that. And I think that's also a big part of uh, perhaps a bigger agenda. I could be getting into conspiracy theory here. But um, a lot of our attention is diverted away from ourselves. And I think that's very detrimental to understanding your purpose. I think time with yourself and time adventuring with others helps develop this sense of like, oh, where can I, where can I fit in? You know, like the ikigai thing, you know, like yeah. uh, what your life areas culminate into something that is tangible that you can do that fills these boxes of purpose, of helping, of your own, you know, filling up your own cup for yeah. healing health. I think adventure in, in, in time to process that is a huge part of it. Yeah, I think it's, first of all, it's really, really important to understand that, you know, the emptiness people feel inside themselves is because they couldn't find their purpose. Mm-hmm. And even, I think even the word purpose is it's kind of like underestimating this. It's kind of like, like you said, connecting with who you are and may, mainly like maybe centering to who you really are because we're in a I mean 21st century I think is all about conditioning people are so much conditioned on should do this shouldn't do this life should be like this and it should be lived like this and and people are lost inside of that and spending time with yourself meditating although it's hard and we need breath work and all that just spending time with yourself trying to understand who you are connecting and centering i think that's why breath work is very important because i was there like i was where you you know you also have been speaking about like in my 20s there was this whole emptiness in my system although everything was everything seemed like everything was working But one morning I woke up and I looked at my life and my life looked like this perfect picture and I couldn't see myself inside of it because I was so conditioned into mm. how my life should be and yeah. who I needed to be in order to be happy and all that. I couldn't literally see myself inside that story and I was like... Something is wrong. You know, I did everything I was told to do, you know, living mm. by the book. Mm. And I thought that would bring me happiness, but happiness, but I was like this feeling horrible, feeling lost. And I didn't, I didn't see any meaning. And I was in, even thinking like, maybe I should commit suicide. People mm. who think of committing suicide yeah. don't, but it's kind of like coming up to my mind. And I was like, there's something wrong with this. And that was the time when I started yoga and meditation because I knew I could handle that myself. Like I was like, I'm going to either find what this is all about. I'm going to either, you know, figure this out myself or I can't. Mm -hmm. So I think the first thing for, you know, young people and for anybody who feels like this emptiness, first of all, no one, no drug No psychologist, nobody can fill that space. Like I need to fill that space myself. You're so hitting it's just, on a point that uh, you're just you yeah. need to go on that journey yourself. It's not it's not gonna. I mean, nobody can help you with that. It's like just you and just you. Like mm. whenever that happens, I think the wisest step I took 
was, like you said, just staying alone. I left everybody and I was like, I want to spend some time with myself. And I started meditating. I went to India and all that and mm -hmm. Vipassana and like truly like stayed with myself for months. And then, you know, with breath work, deepening my breathing, I was able to connect with myself more and more. And it's kind of like the moment I am centered with myself, the moment you get into a place of I am that I am, beyond all that conditioning, you know, should do this, should, like this is it, you know, I'm this, and this is the life I want, and I'm just this, then there opens up the purpose path. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like people think without connecting with themselves, they could just find their purpose, right. like with some doing some exercise, it's not yeah. going to happen like that. It's yeah. like the first step is, you know, you are the one who's going to fill the emptiness. And whenever you fill the emptiness with yourself, you know, true self, you know, not the self you're, you know, trying to become, but the way you are, I am that I am, mm. then I think you awaken to your purpose. You hit on two points that are really like near and dear to my heart. And uh, I'll go into a story that is like very personal to me uh, from my past. And seeing the results after it are exactly what you're talking about. You wanted to go within yourself. So there are two things. One, you used a couple words in there about like should, could, would. Any of the ud words are guilt manipulation words. And when someone's telling you the uds, really examine them because what they're saying is you need something outside of yourself. So careful of those whenever you hear those. Oh, you should be doing this. You could be doing this. They're guilt manipulation words. And you'll notice you'll feel terrible <laughs> when you hear this stuff. Yeah. You know. So anyway, so that's that was the first one where I started like recognizing, oh, this stuff is within me. I am the gatekeeper of my own inner being. It's not these should do this, you should be doing that. It's it's not that. It's within me. So I had to find it. So when I was Hmm. I think I was 17. I think I was 17 at the time. And uh, I grew up playing baseball. And um, uh, uh, a guy that I, a kid at that time, that I grew up playing against for a long time, we had become like friendly rivals. You know, he was very good. And I, I, was, uh, I, always, I was good at baseball. I was very, you know, I was good. And um, I remember at the time, like we were always kind of playing in summer leagues for state championship. He was one of the best on his team. I was one of the best on my team. We came together. He went to Florida Atlantic, which is a huge baseball school, started as a freshman. I went to West Virginia University, start, right? So we were good, okay? So we're the championship game for our league in the summer, and he's playing left field. Normally he played third, but for this school, it was a top 15 in the country school for baseball. So the coach was like, do you want to play third? Or do you want to play left field and you'll start? So, of course, you're going to play left field and you start. Well, this was at Belmont High School, not too far from here. We're in Boston. Belmont High is probably like 15, 20 minutes or so. And they were doing construction on the football field, which abutted the baseball field. So there wasn't a fence there in left field mm -hmm. anymore because they were doing construction. So he's in left field. So it's ideal situation. Bottom of the last inning. We're down by two. There are two runners on base and I'm up. So I get a nice pitch and I, I, I drive this ball to left field. Brandon goes back. That's his name. He's running. He dives forward like a dive. Center fielder comes. He slides. 
to go and catch the ball. They collide. Brennan ends up crushing his larynx and dies there, suffocates and dies on the field. And it fucked me up. I didn't know how much it messed me up until years later, but it messed me up. Yeah. And at that time, again, I was in high school. I was like recruited. Uh, you know, I wanted my, my dream at that time was to go and play pro ball. Play, that, that's all that was talk about purpose. That was my soul. So after that, I felt like I, you know, it was tough to pick up a bat again. Yeah. That kind of thing. Cause I'd felt in some way that I had contributed to this respected friend that became a, like a, you know, a friendly rival that I had in some way attributed to his death. And I saw how much that messed up his family. I saw how much that messed up his teammates. And I, I held a lot of that guilt. Mm. When I was, when I went back to high school, this was the summer, they brought me in a few times to be like, go see a therapist, go to a doctor, take these, that kind of thing. And, and I had always denied it. Like, I don't want that. I, I have to figure this out myself. myself. I have to go deep within one to heal. I didn't know at the time, you know, to, to heal and forgive, but that's what I had to do. And I, I like, it was a search, you know, I went out and I searched and I remember very specifically, like, because I was like, no, I want to do this. I want to figure this out. Like, I was almost like, I don't know, judged or like chastised or yeah. something for it, you know? And also in, in high school, and I, I don't care, I still do. I smoked cannabis. And that was one of the ways that I, I was able to calm my system yeah. down. Yeah. Cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, I didn't know breath work at that point. I was 17 years old. Like I was still probably, I don't know, maybe when did I start yoga? I think I started when I went to Florida, which was probably like, yeah, 18 or 19, maybe a year or two after that. I think I said 17 before, but it was probably a year or two after that. Um, and I, that was part of my search is like to, you know, to go deep, whatever. But I remember very specifically just feeling isolated because I didn't want to do what people were like, you should do this. Yeah. And come, you know, I'm 37 now, however, 20 years later after that, like just recognizing all of it and seeing, uh, I'm so grateful that I did. I'm so grateful mm -hmm. that I went through it myself, that I, I went through that trauma. I went through those valleys like deeply and felt them to be able to heal and forgive, you know, and it was, it was pretty beautiful. I was doing this seminar at, um, I, I have a strong affinity for martial artists, mixed martial arts in particular, I think is uh, probably the most extremely athletic sport that you can do. Yeah. Um, and I have an affinity for them. So I train some of them with breath and I have a, a close buddy that trains at a, a very high profile gym. Shout out to Peter Barrett. He's got a fight coming <laughs> up. I love you, Pete. Um, and, uh, you know, I went to his gym, which is uh, a, a very powerful. Joe Lozon is a, a, an MMA legend and he's, you know, he's not too far from here in Bridgewater. And a kid... 20 years old, I say, kid, what's up, Danny? Um, he's wearing this shirt, Brendan Grand Invitational, wrestling invitational. And I went up and I was like, hey, man, what's up? <laughs> and, you know, I'm coming in as this, like, instructor to this, like, yeah. weird type thing. So I'm, you know, and I know how I look. I'm a bearded dude with long hair. So, that, you know, I get the Jesus of parents, whatever. <laughs> so I'm coming in and he's like, oh, hey, how you doing? You know, and I was like, what's up with your shirt? And he's like, oh, yeah, I got this like a couple years ago. And I was like, do you know Brendan or anything? And he's like, uh, 
Brandon, he's like, no, you know, I'm 20. And I was like, well, that would make sense. He like probably died before you were born. So I went into this whole story and it was this serendipitous moment where like all of this healing and you talk about purpose. I had, I'm finding my purpose more and more with this help and stuff. And I'm these, and he's got a shirt on. And it was one of those, you know, how they, you know, in ET, how they have the little, what were they? Skittles or Reese's, how they had the Reese's. I look at, I look at the universe is giving you little Reese's. Exactly. And to me, I was like, oh man, that's so beautiful. And then I looked up and I was like, I hear you, dude, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But it was it was like, there were been moments like that where I was like, exactly what you said. I have to go find this out for myself. Yeah. You know what, what while you were speaking about it, you know what I've been thinking? I think uh, the need to belong to a group is what keeps us, it, what, what keeps, all of us from being ourselves. It's like, if you want to, I mean, for anybody listening, I think if you want to really find yourself, find your purpose, who really, who you really are, you have to be able to leave the whole world and let the inner voice, you know, be louder than the outer voice and let the need to belong, just, just leave it. Like you don't need to belong. Like, because it's kind of like, it's kind of like a test we either belong to ourselves or we belong to the community or the conditioning. So it's kind of like you can't you can't be in both of them. You know, you can't belong to a group of people. I mean, you can be a leader of your own crew. Mm-hmm. You can be a leader of your own thing. But it's kind of like belonging to a group of, you know, condition. It just doesn't happen. It's like yeah. that's... I think that's real bravery, bravery, like mm-hmm. just turning your back and you're, you know, even though they're judging you or saying you should be doing this and you shouldn't be doing this, just going further and doing whatever you feel like doing is such a bravery. And that's yeah. kind of like the biggest step people can take. I don't know if yeah. everybody can do that, but it's well, like... I think, I think a lot of people fear the vulnerability yeah. You know, and I love Brene Brown and I think she has a really great idea that like nothing courageous, nothing brave happens without vulnerability. Yeah. It goes against the definition of it. And I think once you get into those uncomfortable, you know, situations where you are vulnerable, a lot of people tend to just go with whatever is the least resistant, whether they believe it or not, because they don't want the flack. Yeah. And I think you hit on something. You're talking about the individual groups or the smaller groups. I think the more you become empowered in yourself, in your ideas, in your beliefs and philosophies, and then put that into action, you find people of like, yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah. and yes, your, smirk, your your circle does get smaller, but it gets, it gets stronger. Yeah. Or maybe it to, is renewed, you know, it's like once you sure, leave yeah. a group and then you find yourself and that's kind of like the whole process. I think it was an amazing conversation. Thank you. Thank you I can so go much. on and on for hours. Huh? <laughs> yeah, totally. Thank you for having me here. Everyone in the booth yeah. too. Thank you guys. Right thank on. you. Yeah. And to our listeners, thank you for listening to us. I loved every minute of it. Thank you so much for being here. Truly a pleasure. It was an honor to yeah. get the See invite. you in the next episode.